Welcome to Heart of a Shepherd, a podcast from Trinity Lutheran Church in Freistadt, Wisconsin. Now, here's Trinity's Rick Adams, Angela Axtman, and Pastor Carl Leyenbauer. Welcome back, everybody. Rick Adams here, Director of Discipleship at Trinity Lutheran Church in Freistadt, in the podcast room with our senior pastor, Carl Leyenbauer. Hi, Rick. Good to be back here again with you. Always. And Angela Axman. Hi, Rick. Wonderful to be here with you as well. Today, and welcome all of you back to the Heart of a Shepherd podcast. We are so grateful that you have joined us again. Today, we find ourselves in the fourth chapter of uh, Ephesians, uh, starting at verse 1. And there is this is a target-rich environment today. <laughs> a lot to talk about. There's a lot yes. to talk about. Yeah. So um, buckle up, because... It's, there's going to be a lot going on today. Yeah. Pastor. Sounds good. Let's dive in. Paul writes, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying, he ascended, what doesn't mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, and to Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow, so that it builds itself up in love. So one of the things that immediately uh, hits me is the fact that Ephesians is one of Paul's prison epistles, right? So he's writing this from prison, isn't he? Uh, I assume that's why he calls himself a prisoner, but I actually don't know that off the top of my head. I actually Googled it. Okay. And Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, and Philemon are his prison epistles. There you go. And the reason why I think that's significant is... He is not, and when we think about ways in which we place these, these chapters on us as heads of Christian households, and we think about what it means to be the head of a Christian household, we cannot allow our immediate circumstances to be an obstacle mm. or an excuse mm-hmm. to not be examples. And I mean, here he is in prison, and he's talking about living a life worthy of the calling that we've received. Yeah. And I just find that to be... Inspiring and, and fascinating. And obviously, he's he's writing this letter. He's doing something, right. and that's and that's really, I think, more than anything, when we talk about the heart of a shepherd, and just accepting 
responsibility for the spiritual well-being of the people I care most about, that just means that I do something. Right. <laughs> it doesn't mean I always know what to do, but it means that when I know that it's not working, I try something else. And I mean, I just I think of my family devotions. After a while, sometimes what we're doing isn't working anymore. I just try something different. Right. I don't always have a silver bullet, but I know the kids are tuning out. Let's do something different. And sure. we do. And I just feel like there might be many of us, myself included, who are more than willing to use convenient excuses to not engage or to not take a, take my role as the head of a Christian household and, and truly embrace it because I'm too busy or because, you know, I've got uh, other things that need my attention. Somebody's really difficult or right. causes conflict or right. my, whatever. Yeah, right. lots of reasons. I had a, a kind of a, another angle on it, um, but it kind of goes along with what you're saying in that you can't deny the fact that your responsibility is to your family and to sharing Christ with them and, and being a shepherd and a leader. And, and that's because of what you, what you already know of Christ. And as I was reading um, in Jeremiah, so Jeremiah was um, a prophet, obviously, and he was kind of on an island. Everybody around him was not following, and God kept telling him, you know, tell them. Remind them, you know, what's going to happen if they don't do what I say. And um, Jeremiah says in verse chapter 20, verse 9, uh, he says, But if I say I'll never mention the Lord or speak his name, his word burns in my heart like a fire. It's like a fire in my bones. I am worn out trying to hold it in. I can't do it. Mm-hmm. And I loved that. Just the the passion, like you almost you have no control over it when... The spirit is in you and you know what Christ says is right. Mm-hmm. Like you you have to you have to say it. You have to share it. <laughs> yeah. And that's a it's an amazing feeling, but it it does you are kind of a prisoner to that feeling that like uh, it's gotta Yeah. Paul it, Paul there's nothing you can do about it. I think Paul would identify with that. There's there's I don't know where, but somewhere he says, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel, right? It's like, I just can't not, uh, because he's had this experience of Christ's goodness and love and forgiveness, and how could I not tell someone? Uh, and that's maybe a good place to just kind of circle back to the truth that, uh, we, you know, as, as we think about sharing our faith with others, even within our own families, it really comes back to your own experience of walking with Jesus. And uh, here Paul talks about walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, which once again turns your attention back to what is the calling and who is the one who is calling you. And my eyes are on Jesus instead of on what I'm supposed to be doing. It's on the one who's calling me to follow. And then I'm going to do my best to walk in a manner worthy of it. Well, since you used that phrase, walking in a manner worthy, let's look at that phrase in verse one here of living a life worthy of the calling. I think it might, many of our listeners might ask the question, well, what does a worthy life look like? Mm-hmm. What are some characteristics of a worthy life? And he, he starts to answer that question in the verses that follow. We are to be humble and gentle, which to me, I think, means that we, we come into this with the realization that we are unworthy, mm-hmm. except for the grace and mercy that God bestows upon us. We would otherwise be totally unworthy to be heads of households. So we come in with that posture, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm thinking, too, about people who aren't heads of households but are still trying to live this out, to walk in a manner worthy. And it, I think the same is still true, that there's a uh, humility, gentleness. It's, it's striking to me as I look at Paul's list here. Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, and eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Which these are these are not the things that in this world would get you labeled as particularly worthy. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's these are not the ways you climb any kind of a ladder, uh, but they're ways really that you descend the ladder in order to be a servant to others. And uh, that's that's the whole point that Jesus is calling us to an opposite way to to live life uh, and modeling for us an opposite way to live life, putting His Spirit in us so that we can find our joy while living life, while moving the opposite direction of the rest of society, which is all trying to climb on top of each other, right. we're trying to get to the bottom and figure out how we can serve. You, we, we lead through serving, yeah. right? And, you know, that phrase in there in verse 2 about bearing with one another in love, it always makes me smile because right away Paul is acknowledging that within Christian households or within Christian churches, there's going to be conflict, right? Bearing with one another implies conflict. I don't usually talk about my life with my wife as bearing with my wife. That wouldn't be very polite because it it would imply that that's a difficult thing, which Mm -hmm. is, of course, not. But there are people in our lives for whom it's going to require a little extra work Mm -hmm. to maintain the relationship. Right. And um, And so bearing with one another fits. And being such an individualistic society, too, we are so quick to just be like, well, I'm just done. I don't need this, mm-hmm. you know, kind of. And we, right. don't, we don't bear with each other. And so that, that God has preserved these words for us across a couple thousand years is, right. is helpful. A reminder that sometimes you're, you're not going to love being together with the people that God has put you in, in uh, community with. But that doesn't mean you can't love them. And sometimes that love is as simple as we just put up with each other right now and let God go to work on the, the unity of the spirit. And uh, even that there's joy in, in that when it's coming from love. I had read in one commentary that it's important for us to understand that it, it's not our behavior that brings the peace. The Holy Spirit is the one that brings the peace. Mm-hmm. But our behavior can certainly impede the peace. Mm-hmm. It can get in the way of the Holy Spirit's otherwise free flow of peace that can and should be should exist in in godly households yeah the language that paul uses i think is is um makes you stop and think because he tells he wants you to be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace which suggests what says the unity is already there right and so sometimes we have this kind of idea like we have to create unity and there's some man-made ways to do that. We can rally the troops around a common cause or find a common enemy. And churches do that stuff plenty. Mm-hmm. But Paul's saying, you have a unity already because you have the same spirit. You all have the spirit of Christ. And so that means that for all the diversity of your opinions and the diversity of your lifestyles and the diversity of your situations, that unity already exists. You keep the peace by bearing with each other, having humility, gentleness, patience, and letting uh, God's letting God's spirit be the the united factor. Uh, so one way that I've found myself talking about this is that this is not a unity of, you know, it's not that we're all in the same place or we all agree, but we're all going the same direction because the spirit is going to draw us to Jesus. And so if you're moving towards Jesus and I'm moving towards Jesus, we have a deep unity that's always going to be bringing us ultimately closer to each other, even if right now we're in very different places. 
I think these words also echo um, from Micah 6, 8, where what does God require of you but to act justly and to love mercy and walk humbly. And mm-hmm. that goes right along with all those things. It's it's what he knows we the way we need to behave and how we need to act in order to receive from him everything that that he has to give to us in that relationship. I'm, there's a lot of catechism in here too because, you know, in, in the catechism when Luther describes the work of the Holy Spirit, he calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth, keeps it united. So it, giving the credit to the Holy Spirit, not to us. And then we were reminded with that phrase, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, it, it harkens to the idea that it's not with gold or silver that we were purchased uh, and won, but with his holy precious blood, his innocent suffering and death. So again, we just see the, the foundations of our Lutheran faith uh, really spelled out here in these verses. I want to uh, circle back and, and try to hit in a more practical way the idea of maintaining the unity of the Spirit, uh, because I guess it would be easy to miss. But what what is it that can attack the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace? Well, if that unity already exists and it's the Spirit of Jesus that's in you, the only way to threaten that unity is to for us to, to get out of step with God's Spirit, to use Paul's language from Galatians. And so when I'm struggling with unity in my home, that that the challenge to the unity is the fact that we're sinners who are wanting to do our own thing. And the, the solution to that is not to align everybody with my will. It's to work to get everybody aligned to the will of Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> and that's repentance on my part often, but leading my family into repentance, uh, you know, for all of us. And to once again be seeking, because if we're all seeking to please Christ, that our home is going to be a beautiful place to be. It will. It, and to our sinful uh, eyes, it might seem ridiculously sappy. <laughs> but to God's, from God's perspective, he's going to say, that's exactly what I'm looking for, yeah. that unconditional love. As a, as a pastor, I see... I see the ridiculously sappy, and I see all the drama, and I'll take ridiculously sappy any day. <laughs> yep. So, and then we, we get that verse 7, each of us, to each of us grace has been given as Christ has apportioned it. And then we get a quote where Paul goes to Psalm 68, and he says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. And my question is, like, ascended, is that talk, or when uh, he ascended, is he talking about ascending the, the ascension when he after his resurrection he took many captives is, is that to say that he took all of those who were captive in sin uh, and now believe in him and through faith are freed from that slavery uh, so I'm gonna give you a different take on this okay and I, and I love it I, I, this is one of those places where I just think there's something really cool going on and the clue to it and this is often the case the clue to it is if that if you were to look closely at this you would say, Paul is misquoting the Bible. Because if you go back and you look at at, uh, Psalm 68 that he's quoting from here, uh, it doesn't say he gave gifts to men. It says he took or he received. And when Paul is quoting, he changes it, and he specifically uses a different word that means he gave. So here's here's my take on this. Uh, Jesus is ascending on high. He has a host of captives that he's taken. 
these are the people that he has stolen from Satan, who belong to yes, Satan, and now he's been, he's been, he's he's taken them. But he's not taken them in order to set them free. He's taken them to be now, like Paul, a prisoner for the Lord, mm-hmm. whom he sends. So he took them, and now he's giving them back to the church, and he's giving them in these categories that are listed further down here: apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. He's he's taking you captive to give you to the people whom he loves. Which I think is really cool. Yeah, I think it's it's staggering to imagine that this risen and ascended Savior of ours is now seen fit to give us mortals mm-hmm. a part in having the church spread out throughout all the world. Yeah, he, he could have done it himself, but he gives us the privilege of joining him in that, joining Jesus in his mission. Yeah, well, and and he's not like he just grabs us and is like now. You know, go on. He's he's in you, right? He, right. His spirit is so. It's still him. He always he, he always deserves the credit, but the uh, the he's doing the work through the gifts that he's given, and you are that gift. And then, and as the verses that follow now, it, it's he starts to flesh that out because he talks about the different roles that we play right. in the kingdom, whether it's apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. We all have a, a very a differing and varying role, right? And yeah. that, that was I thought that was interesting. The list, how it it starts out, kind of like a very public type of sharing, and and it goes down to getting very personal at the at the teacher level, one on one thing versus you know proclaiming to the the masses. Um, mm-hmm. But we all get to the we arrive at the same conclusion that Christ is Lord and. We all grow together. Yeah, and I mean, I think you can even go another layer beyond that because he he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, which is saying that right down to every individual Christian who we are gifts to each other. And so the the goal is just to be equipping others. Yeah, the, the goal of the called worker is not to do all the work. Yeah. But to equip the the rank and file, the, the laity the moms and the dads and the grandmas and the grandpas and the aunts and the uncles and the neighbors, to they all have a role in carrying out the work of the kingdom. Yeah. I think too many people forget that. Yeah, yeah. It's, I, I, so Trinity opened a time capsule a couple of weeks ago and uh, was buried in 1956. And one of the things that was in there was the annual report from 1956 and so I opened it because I was real curious to see what Pastor Weekman had written in, in that year. And uh, just the scope of the congregation, how large it was, and uh, it, you know, it's bigger than it is today. And, and it was really striking to me uh, to, to kind of put that in perspective with the fact that they had a lot less staff. He was the only pastor here at the time, I think, if I remember right. Maybe he had an associate, but certainly not the, the number of church workers we do now. But I think they were more in touch with the shepherd in every home and he viewed his role as equip the shepherds in the homes and that's how they could be in ministry to 700 people in a, on a weekend and the, the scope of things there um, hmm. uh, verse 13 helps us see the big picture in terms of when will this fully be complete and i see it where it says until we all reach the unity in the faith, that's not going to happen in this life. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, it's going to happen in the, in the world to come. 
um, where we will become fully mature and f- attaining. Didn't we a few podcasts back talk about the full measure? Mm-hmm. And and here we get that same phrase again, attaining to the whole measure or the full measure of the fullness of Christ mm-hmm. in verse 13. It's ultimately yeah. going to happen in eternal life. And it's put in parallel with the ESV says to mature manhood. But it's the idea is that when you attain to the full measure of Christ, you just became fully human. You became what you were created to yeah. be, which is such a cool thing to think about that, that we are still, we're still, I guess, letting, waiting for God to, to finish his work in us. But we still have this, this progress to go to finally discover what it really means to be human as we were created to be. And, and then, and, oh, go ahead. And, and the spiritual growth right now is a step that direction. Yep. I mean, that's, the, the love and the joy and the peace that comes that you have in Christ as you're growing is becoming more fully human. And we get that again spelled out in the next two verses, 14 and 15. We're not going to, we'll no longer be infants, which, you know, tossed back and forth by the waves. You know, you think about what that's describing, and that's all of the things that Satan throws at us to try to throw us off our game. Right. You know, it's like, it's like we're, the waves of a, of a ship at sea were tossed back and forth. And Paul is saying there's going to come a day when that will no longer be true of us. We will, As we grow in his grace, we grow into faith maturity, those, we, those waves tend to have less and less of an effect on us. Mm-hmm. The waves are still going to be there, but they won't stagger us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really good way of describing it, that... The waves are there, but they don't throw us yeah. the same way they used to. And, and uh, I try to think of how you kind of end up, how do you experience being thrown by the waves? Uh, but I guess we, we just use that phrase for it, don't we? It's like, I was really thrown. Right. Because this person that I respected said this and it challenged the way that I was thinking, and I'm being thrown yeah. by deceitfulness of Satan ultimately. Sure. And, I think when you have picture like being out in the ocean if if you've been out there the, the first time you walk in and a wave comes it it takes you by surprise and the more you stand out there and have them hit you you learn how to roll with it mm-hmm. or how to position yourself so that you don't get knocked back every time but but you ride it you know mm-hmm. and i think in our christian life as we grow and mature as we experience god working in our life and we gain experience with how he he really is who he says he is right. that that our foundation gets firmer so that as things in life hit us we don't you know we might yeah. bounce a little bit but it's it's not as bad as the first time it's i'm i'm got that image in my mind and i'm thinking i mean the progress here is the the more that you know the truth and the more that you know that the truth is the truth the more you are immune to the waves and it's like you, you maybe start out and like you're in a little rowboat and out on the ocean, you're not, you're going to feel every wave. But as that, that understanding of the truth grows, it's like the boat that you're in just keeps getting bigger and more solid until finally you like, you're on solid land and the waves are out there doing their thing, yeah. but they don't raise any questions for you anymore. You know, I am saved by grace through Jesus who, who died and who rose. And these things are now beyond question. And so since those things are now beyond question, as the world rattles its sabers around me, uh, you know, going to the words of Jesus as he thinks about the end times, like the wars and rumors of wars and famines and pestilences and, all, you know, just everything that Satan would use to try to 
to cause us to question or to doubt or to fear, it all starts to just become the waves hitting on the shore while you're on solid land because you know the truth that anchors you. Isn't it in James where he talks about adults acting as infants when it comes to craving the milk instead of the the meat of... Uh, Paul uses an image like Paul? that and Hebrews does too. I okay, think, but, right. Yeah. It just got me thinking about how... Because in verse 14, he says, we will no longer be infants. Well, he's talking about adults here. Yeah. But the infancy is is your faith and your maturity. And you think about how maybe we are, when we exhibit an immature faith, we're, we're always needy, we're always offended, <laughs> and we're always consuming but never producing. I'll use that metaphor that I used a few podcasts ago. And it makes me think about, like, Recently, our 7th and 8th graders went to Brookfield Lutheran Church for a Feed My Starving Children mm-hmm. mobile pack, and they always show you pictures of children, their before and after pictures. Mm-hmm. of This was a child who was brought to a, this particular mission, malnourished, at death's door, and then after months and months of receiving the food packs, they show you the after. Mm-hmm. And it's just an amazing difference between what they were and what they are now and they're robust and they're healthy and filled out, you know, color is back. And it makes me think about how that's true in a spiritual way for us as we move along in faith where there should be like before and after pictures of us <laughs> so that we can see what, what God is doing in us. Um, but anyway, it was just kind of a thought that hit me. And then our, our time is kind of getting close to the end here. So let's go to that last verse, verse 16. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And I'm thinking, Pastor, as the shepherd of Trinity, you know, this verse must have special meaning for you because you get to see the work of the Holy Spirit doing his thing in the lives of all of our members who have each been gifted and apportioned grace by God. Oh yeah, it's a beautiful thing when the body of Christ is is uh, hidden on all cylinders. When well, when I mean when the body is healthy, so to speak, and everybody created differently, but we have this appreciation and respect for each other, and we can accomplish remarkable things. I think uh, you know some examples of that would be like the the Christ for Africa mission auction that I think kind of came out of nowhere, and all of a sudden we're like, wow, Trinity had that in us, mm-hmm. and it was really remarkable to see that, yeah. and. Well, the uh, we, we kind of passed over the phrase there, but verse 15, the speaking the truth in love so that we're growing up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Uh, that's where that comes from. It comes from having Christ as the head. So when Christ is my head and Christ is your head, we're going to work really well together, even if we're totally different. In fact, those differences become strengths instead of weaknesses. And and so uh, the the goal of the shepherd is let's have Christ be the head. And that's as true of this shepherd sitting across the table from me as the shepherd of this congregation, but it's also true of every Christian household who is shepherded by somebody that Mm -hmm. you get to see the work of the Holy Spirit doing his thing in the lives of the people in your midst. Yeah, I I would especially just point this out to those who who would identify as I'm the head of my household, Mm -hmm. that that headship, the goal is to make Christ the head of my household. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So so I'm I'm serving and everybody's listening to Jesus. That's my goal. Sounds like a good place to stop.
I think so. It was a great, I told you it was a target-rich environment, and it certainly was. And there's more to come. So uh, thank you for being with us, and we will see you back here again in the this podcast of Heart of a Shepherd. Thank you. 